journalism and civil disobedience is the topic of this edition of Radio Curious. Our guest is Mendocino County journalist Will Parrish. Will Parrish is a graduate of the University of California at Santa Cruz with a major in sociology and social change and a minor in journalism. Currently, he describes himself as a social change activist slash journalist. In this interview, recorded in the studios of Radio Curious on May 27, 2013, Will Parrish describes some of his experiences as a journalist and continues with his story of why he sat in a tree near Willits, California as an act of civil disobedience to protest the building of a highway. I've mostly focused on investigating power structures um, and powerful interests wherever I've, I've lived when it comes to using my journalism. In this area, that's mostly meant the wine industry. It's meant um, regional political machines like um, Doug Bosco and his, his political affiliates in the, in the North Coast. It's meant um, different agricultural interests. Um, so when something like the Wilts Bypass came along, it was... You know, I, I, it was a familiar storyline for me because I saw it as a case of of this really powerful interest trying to force its will on onto a small community that that wasn't really interested in this project. You've been uh, sitting in a tree to protest the development of a bypass through the town of Willits. The main street of Willits is the primary artery of Highway US 101 with the town of Willits being about 135 miles north of the Golden Gate Bridge. What drew your involvement to this effort? Well, I actually moved to this area originally because I really fell in love with the land in Willits. That's where my now ex-wife grew up. And so for one thing, it's it's an area that I really have a lot of love for and and actually, it's the reason I came here was because I loved the state that it's in now, which is, you know, it does not have a major freeway artery going through it. It uh, has a small town feel to it. It has um, a relative absence of, of big box stores and, and the other sorts of things that go along with, with major freeway arteries going through a town. So I love the town. I love the area. And as as I've done journalistic work in this area in the last three and a half years or so, I've made it a point to focus on the biggest, most impactful projects ecologically and socially uh, in this entire region of the North Coast. So I've, I've focused on projects in Sonoma County. I've focused on projects in Humboldt County that would be destructive um, or have a major impact. And the Willits Bypass Project by by my accounting, is the most destructive project um, that I've encountered in the time that I've been paying attention to these sorts of impactful projects. So, What are the destructive aspects from your perspective? Sure. Well, 
for starters, it would fill in and essentially destroy the largest area of wetlands of any project in Northern California in the last 50 years, um, according to Army Corps of Engineers records. It's, um, it already has destroyed a lot of oak woodlands, madrone woodlands. Uh, when Caltrans inventoried the presence of trees in the bypass route, they, they came up with 1,815 oak trees that would be cut, many of which are hundreds of years old, including the one that, that I was sitting in. It's, uh, it's going to, if it goes through in the construction process alone, release 380,000 cubic tons of carbon dioxide uh, through the creation and the transportation of, of the materials used to build the freeway and the construction process. And um, there's, a, there's a variety of other ones, but, and of, of course, also a huge, a huge impact of the project is uh, the amount of, of soil that has to be moved to create the fill because Little Lake Valley is, it's a wetlands valley. And in fact, the, the native Pomo people of the area's word for the valley pretty closely translates to valley of water splashing the toes in, in their language uh, because historically this is a really wet valley and, and still is a really wet valley. So the amount of the amount of work that has to be done to account for that from an engineering perspective is, is really, really enormous um, relative to this being a, a six-mile freeway. There's just an enormous amount of, of fill that needs to be used to elevate this freeway and to stabilize the freeway through the wetlands. So, When you say enormous, what quantity do you indicate? Well, depending on which Caltrans document you believe, it's anywhere from 1.4 to 2.5 million cubic yards of soil that would be used as fill for this project on the freeway route itself. Will, when you talk about this quantity of soil that would be used, where would it come from? That's actually not clear at this point. Originally, it would have come from Oil Well Hill, which is the first hill as you're going north of Willits that you ascend on the 101 heading toward Laytonville. Caltrans purchased about 40 acres of land there with the idea that that would be its reserve of fill soil for the North Wetlands area of the bypass. But they're talking about other options also. Those options being? Uh, Something along the lines of hauling it in from the coast. Uh, That was just put forward in a recent newspaper story. Um, The bottom line, I think, is that they aren't actually sure where they're going to get it. When you tell us what Caltrans' intentions are, what is the source of your information? It's almost entirely Caltrans' own documents, whether that's its environmental impact report or whether that's um, bids that it's put out for construction work that construction companies have an opportunity to look at and decide if they want to bid on the project. Um, It's official information they release on the web, those sorts of things. And how do you get the information that is not released on the web? Well, I've, I've filed Public Record Act requests as part of investigating this project uh, through the, the California Public Record Act and, and gotten information on survey work that they've done related to 
migratory birds in the bypass routes, um, which is one of the habitat so-called mitigations they need to do for this project. Um, I've gotten reports on the California Highway Patrol's activities as part of policing the project, that sort of thing. But for the most part, it's it's public information that's readily available for anyone who has the interest to look. Will Parrish, you were talking about mitigation of the project. What does mitigation mean? Mitigation is the idea of making up for environmental damage that a project causes. So, for example, under the the Clean Water Act of 1972, um, the Army Corps of Engineers is required to enforce a policy of no net loss of wetlands, as they put it. So anytime that a project destroys wetlands that are under the jurisdiction of the Army Corps of Engineers, they are required to have a mitigation plan to, to say how they're going to achieve no net loss of wetlands, which can mean creating new wetlands. It can mean uh, creating areas of wetlands plants, um, it can mean uh, re- rehabilitating areas of wetlands that have been destroyed elsewhere. It can mean it can mean a lot of different things, and all these different forms of so-called mitigation have different amounts of points assigned to them in a in a point system that the Army Corps of Engineers has decided um, is is valid for mitigating wetlands damage. If you, as a journalist, were asked to characterize the reasons, the beneficial reasons, uh, that Caltrans sees to develop this highway, what would you say? Caltrans sees this as a way to move traffic more efficiently through Willits. Uh, Willits is one of the last stops on Highway 101 north of San Francisco that requires that traffic be funneled through a town as opposed to remaining on a freeway. In fact, it's the first traffic light, which is about 135 miles north of the Golden Gate Bridge. That's right. Um, So towns like Hopland, Willits, Eureka are considered antiquated by by Caltrans. Their, Their job, as they see it, is to move traffic as quickly as possible. And there are a lot of interests lined up with them in that, for example, the trucking industry which has a certain class of trucks called STAA trucks that are the largest type of, of cargo trucks on the roadways that, that don't use 101 for the most part. They use the interstate system. This largest style of trucks doesn't use 101 because? Because according to regulations, the, the roadways need to be a certain size for them to travel through. And Willits does not qualify, for example. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with journalist and activist Will Parrish. I'm Barry Vogel. You have been involved in personal direct action uh, to the end of what you believe would stop the development of the highway. Can you tell us about that? I've been involved since January of 2013 in direct actions that I've helped to organize or supported and sometimes taken part in. So in January earlier this year, the first tree sit went up in the route of the proposed bypass. Let's uh, stop there for a minute. 
and explain what a tree sit is for our listeners who um, may not be familiar with that term. Sure. Tree sitting is a tactic that, as far as I understand, actually originated here on the West Coast of the United States that involves someone actually living in a tree that is slated to be cut down. So typically the person will live in a four by eight plywood platform. And the idea is if the tree is cut down, that person will fall to their death. So it's a form of nonviolent civil disobedience where someone puts their body in the way of the destruction. And you were one of the people who climbed up and sat on the four by eight piece of uh, plywood uh, for how long? I was up for a week. I went up on Tuesday, May 14th, and I came down on Tuesday, May 21st. Of 2013. Of 2013. What were you hoping to accomplish? Well, other than doing, as I said, actually physically blocking the cutting of trees in the area where I was doing my tree sit, I, I was hoping to call attention to the bypass project's destructive impacts using my whatever notoriety I have as a writer and using my skill, whatever that may be as a writer, um, to describe my reasons for going up into the tree. And and also just for the, the narrow technical reason that there was no other tree sitter at that particular time that was willing to go up into the tree, I decided that it would be the responsible choice to, to fill in for a little while. When you say responsible, responsible to whom? Uh, responsible to my commitment to do whatever I can to help this campaign to succeed. What do you think you were able to achieve by being in the tree for a week? I think that a lot of people who have followed my writing took note of the fact that I was in the tree and they realized how seriously I'm taking this. They realized how serious the issue is um, in a new way because, you know, to, to throw this in, in, in the tree, not only was I seen in the tree, but there, there are several trees that are tied to the tree I was in with truck rope. And if any of those trees were to be cut down, it would have endangered my life because the, the tree fallers couldn't aim those trees the way they wanted to. So, I think I was. I think I made a, a a powerful statement about how serious this issue is, or at least that was that was my intention. I think it worked to a degree. Well, I understand that shortly before you climbed the tree to sit in it, you had been summoned to the superior court in Mendocino County, a relative to an incident in and around the Little Lake Valley where the highway is being built. Tell us about that. Why were you summoned to court? On April 2nd, I was arrested sitting down in, in the middle of Highway 101 blocking traffic during uh, the morning because about 50 California Highway Patrol officers had come to town and and were in the process of, of pulling our first tree sitter, who's a Willits resident named Amanda Sensman, who went by the warbler out of, out of her tree. She used the gnome de plume or the gnome de tree of warbler. That's right. So I was, I was alarmed by uh, the amount of force or implied force that was involved in this operation. Because of the arrest 
or of getting her out of the of tree? Of getting her out of the tree and, and later on um, getting other tree servers out of the tree. But in her case, uh, there was a California Highway Patrol SWAT team that consisted of, of four officers who went into the tree with a cherry picker. And one of them actually had a pair of guns strapped to his torso. And none of us knew from looking at what, uh, from looking at him as he went up, what was in those guns, um, what kind of, what kind of, um, you know, ammunition was in those guns. So I was, I was, I was alarmed. And I also was wanting people to slow down and pay attention to what was going on around them who were driving past on the one one So you mentioned cherry picker. That's a device to get high up into a tree with a mechanical lift. Correct. Okay. So you were on Highway 101, the major non-interstate thoroughfare from San Francisco to Oregon along the coast. And what happened? I walked out into Highway 101 and sat down right in the middle of the freeway. And the California Highway Patrol... um, there were four California Highway Patrol officers that, who came and unceremoniously dragged me across the freeway, and I, I tried to um, remain seated in the middle of the freeway for as long as I could. And about ten minutes later, they they hogtied me and threw me in the back of their squad car, and traffic resumed. But in in those ten minutes, traffic was was stopped on the one one. You were arrested. You were ordered to appear in court. You appeared. What happened? The The judge announced that charges had not yet been filed, and he confirmed my address and those of the other people who were appearing with me, and we were on our way. Do you have any idea why charges had not been filed? I don't. I don't. And then from the courthouse, you went to back north to the community of Willits, the Little Lake Valley, and uh, soon after, you assumed a gnome de tree. Red-tailed hawk. And climbed up. Right. What's it like sitting on a four-by-eight platform? Uh, how high up in the tree were you? I guess that I was about 70 feet up. Uh, tell us about your food, your sleeping, your personal hygiene. How did it work? Well, I had a good... A good week's supply of canned food when I went up um, and other food. And I had a sleeping pad, which took up about half the platform. And there's a, there's a group of people who are supporting the tree sit, so they were responsive to anything I might have needed. Um, and, you know, to be, to be blunt, the thing that I needed the most help with was, was emptying my, my jars of urine. That, that accumulate in the tree because um, dealing with with urine and feces is probably the greatest logistical challenge of doing a tree sit because there's there's no other way to to deal with it than to have support from people <laughs> who who are on the ground helping you with that. So you uh, lowered them down in a bucket. Lowered them down. Mm-hmm. Why did you come down after seven days? I think seven days was was enough to make my point. First of all, and, and second of all, there was someone willing to come up, who who wanted to come up, um, to replace me. So I handed it off to her. 
so it would seem to me that the movements of you and your follower uh, were not being observed by the police. Right. We, we were fortunate, and in her case, still she is still fortunate that the police aren't paying a whole lot of attention yet to that tree set. And you don't know why? Don't know why, although I think it may have something to do with the, the outcome of the previous two tree sets where the two tree sitters actually voluntarily left and abandoned their platforms and and the and Caltrans was able to hire people to come take those down. Um, so it may be that their strategy is to hope we're going to go away if they just ignore us and not direct any resources to us. Are you going to go away? Absolutely not. How many more people are there who are in line to tree sit? Uh, I would guess there are... Um, there, there's, there are several. I can say that. Um, and with the summer months coming up, I, th- I think it's safe to say that uh, people who are more mobile during the summer, students, uh, for example, are going to be appearing in tree sits and in Willits. For those that do choose to appear, what kind of information would you be sharing with them about the liabilities and risks that uh, may be incumbent upon them for sitting in a tree? Mm-hmm. Well, the first category is personal risk and personal safety, uh, which which involves there's a lot of preparation that goes into making sure that people are safe being up in the tree. What is that preparation? Training in how to safely climb trees, uh, training in how to to be in the tree safely uh, through using ropes and harnesses. So when you're up in the tree, you're tied to the tree with a harness at all times. That's right. 70 feet's a long way down. <laughs> I, I've never been more aware of how far down 70 feet is than when I was in the tree. What are some of the other training aspects? Well, those, those are the main ones. And, and then there's, uh, there are certain types of training that people who get really enthusiastic can do on, on how to do things like banner drops from trees. Uh, the, the tree I was in has a banner that reads, Save Our Water, Stop Caltrans Now, which was quite an elaborate process to set up. And um, training on how to set up platforms is something that people can be a part of, which is a whole other level of training. So it depends how far someone wants to go with it. Are there other liabilities and risks that you would address to people who prospectively might want to sit in a tree? Sure. Well, it's an act of, of civil disobedience or civil resistance to sit in the tree. So, so by definition, someone is breaking the law by, by going into the tree and they're at risk of being charged with trespassing um, and potentially other charges depending on if they, they decide to lock down uh, with a lockbox in the tree, which is a common tactic. Describe that. Sure. Well, so for, for instance, one of our tree sitters of the original five that we had uh, wrapped his arms in a pair of metal pipes that joined together at a joint where the, the two, uh, two areas of the pipe are perpendicular and wrapped that around a branch and the device is set up so that the police can't get to his arms and hands because they're locked inside of this box to, to, um, to a piece of metal inside of the boxes. So they had to saw him out of the box, which took them about three hours to do. Once uh, he was locked in this box, could he voluntarily release himself? 
as far as I know, um, he could, although there's different designs as far as I understand it. I recall that approximately uh, 20 years ago, there was a similar incident where people locked themselves uh, around uh, uh, an immobile object in the office of the then Congressman Frank Riggs, who represented this area, over a similar issue concerning trees in Humboldt County, the old growth redwoods. There's a long, there's a long history of, of these types of, of civil resistance in this area, which this campaign draws upon quite a bit, the experiences of people who have been involved in, in past waves of resistance. Well, Will Parrish, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about a eureka or an aha moment in your life that has changed your life or has given you a philosophy that you continue to follow? Well, one one eureka moment for me was at uh, University of California, Santa Cruz, when I was a student there. Um, there were a lot of trees that were being cut down on campus to, to make way for, for expansion of, of campus uh, infrastructure. And that was the first time that I witnessed a tree set. So, so that was that was a eureka moment that's that's uh, informed me ever since then, and that was the first time I became aware that that tree sitting existed. What information did it bring to you? It brought to me that that there are people who feel so deeply and so passionately about protecting Mother Earth that they're willing to risk their lives to protect her. What would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? I would I would like to continue to be engaged in protecting the earth so that there's something left for generations that come after and continue to deepen my connection to this area. I'm I'm committed to to living here in, this in Mendocino place. County. Mhm. Yeah, you know, I love this place, and for me, the involvement I have in the Caltrans bypass comes out of the fact that this is my home. And when a destructive project like this comes and threatens your home and and is in the process of destroying your home, you can't run. You know, there's there's nowhere else to put your energy other than right here at home because. For me, as someone who's concerned about things like global climate change and these other ecological problems that are global in scale, it's nice to talk about those and it's nice to be concerned about those. But when there's a manifestation of the exact sorts of dynamics in the world that are creating those problems right where you live, there's no other responsible choice but to be involved in and trying to stop that destruction. And finally, Will Parrish, is there a book that you can recommend to our listeners? When I was in the tree, I read The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood. And so those stories are fresh in my mind. I thought that was an appropriate book to be reading. Will Parrish, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Thanks so much for having me. Parrish is an activist journalist focused on social change and based in Mendocino County, California. 
The book he recommends is The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood by Howard Pyle. This interview was recorded in the studios of Radio Curious on May 27, 2013. Over 400 Radio Curious programs may be found on our website, radiocurious.org. They're free as my gift to you. I hope you enjoy them. Our address is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. The phone is 707-462-6541, and email is curious at radiocurious.org. Christina Onestead is our assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. Thank you.